This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello, Charlie. I, I took this inopportune time to decide to take my socks off. Yeah, I was wondering what you were doing down there. It's like you're either pushing away a dog or you're taking a sock off. I don't have the dogs here yet, but um, my office is a little warm. It's very hot here in Melbourne today. And so I had the air conditioning running before uh, we started this podcast. But the air conditioner is right above my desk where I'm sitting, so I can't have it on for the podcast because it would be too noisy. And so then I decided right. I was getting a little steamy, so I decided the only other <laughs> available option was to take my socks to off. Peel a sock off. Gemma and I have this constant raging argument in our relationship because she likes to wear socks to bed. Uh, but then at night, gross. she will peel them off like in her sleep and then leave the socks in there. So when I make the bed, often I will uncover like a treasure trove of socks, sometimes up to two or three days old in the bottom of the bed. And I say to her, like, can't you just, like, I don't mind you wearing the bed, but before you go to sleep, just take them off and throw them in the dirty laundry basket and then I won't have to find dirty socks but she's like no no she likes to fall asleep with the socks on and then when it's time to kick them off she's normally half asleep you know the interesting thing about that is everybody gets to live their own way and I'm not here to judge how Gemma sleeps but (laughs) that's weird don't wear your socks to bed you freak take your socks off and put them in the laundry basket and go to bed with your feet exposed to the sheets have you never gone I've gone to bed with socks on just to get them warm and then I'll peel them off and fling them across the room yeah, but like in an emergency situation, if like in a situation where I'm also considering huddling next to another human being for body heat so I don't get hypothermia, I'm willing to wear a <laughs> pair of socks to bed. But otherwise, socks yeah. off, get into bed. Socks off. It might have something to do with growing up in Scotland. I think that might be a throwback. I mean, from what she's told me about living on an island off the coast of Scotland, like it gets pretty cold in winter. You would often go to bed like wearing just as much clothes as when you're going around in the day. Spoiler alert, train spotting. You're not in Scotland anymore. Take your socks off. (laughs) This is Australia. We go to bed without our socks on. If you want to bloody go to sleep with your socks on, go back to Sockland. (laughs) (laughs) You pick up your bagpipes off the corner of this room and you take them with your heroin needles and your haggis straight back to Scotland. Go ride Nessie back to Scotland. <laughs> take your copy Pack of your haggis. Take your copy of Highlander and get straight back to Scotland. <laughs> Not even Braveheart. You go for the fakest Scottish film ever. <laughs> A film that Sean Connery is in using a Scottish accent, not playing a Scottish person, I believe. <laughs> playing an Egyptian and a Frenchman <laughs> is playing a Scotsman. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I used to wear my house was that I grew up in was pretty shitty and quite cold in Melbourne 
and I had a hole in my roof, like in my wardrobe. The, the roof of the wardrobe had collapsed. It was, it was a built-in wardrobe. So it just led straight to the ceiling and there was a cracked tile. So like Charlie Bucket, I literally had a hole. Like I, if I opened my cupboard, I could look up and I could see up the stars at night. So in winter, it would get really, really cold in my house. And I would often go to bed, like sometimes wearing a beanie and a scarf and gloves. Maybe that's what inspired you to be a star. You were staring at the stars at night through a hole in your roof. This is like Eminem 8 Mile, but in the suburbs of yeah. Melbourne. <laughs> Yeah, I did go to a private school. Uh, not exactly the same. As my butler drove me to school, I'd be staring out the window, writing raps onto the back of my hand. Right, yeah, exactly. You'd be sitting on the bus going, does anyone have a rhyme for dentist? <laughs> yo, yo, it's M&M. <laughs> Michael Montgomery. <laughs> my raps are searing now. Let me tell you about negative gearing. <laughs> Uh, Nick Cody, who's been a previous guest on our podcast, Nick Cody, we love Nick Cody, Uh, probably doing comedy festivals all around Australia at the moment, so go and see Nick Cody. Uh, He came into my radio show uh, during last week, and he made the observation that it was nice to see me in a radio station with proper microphones and like, you know, (laughs) producers and stuff like that, because the last time he had podcasted with us, it was in the apartment you're in with socks over the microphones. (laughs) I actually, I have passed on that sock tip to many a podcast. I've done a few people's podcasts now who have been worried about sound. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, my friend Will Anderson came up with a pretty good solution. As long as you don't mind looking like a dickhead, a sock makes a good wind sock. Maybe this is the way that you get Gemma to take her socks off before she goes right. to bed. You say you're starting this new bedcast. And you set up a microphone on either side of the bed, and uh, yeah. but but then you don't have any pop shields, and you say, "Oh, Jim, could you take off your socks? I can oh, put it over no. the pop shields." Oh, I can't believe it! I've set up the microphones <laughs> over the bed. We're all ready to go. If only I could just put something. And she pulls out like two actual mic socks she bought earlier. <laughs> She's like, "Use these," and I'm like, "Oh no, um, no, no it's something about the sound quality." If only had something else, some other kind of cloth material that I could slip over the microphone. It wouldn't normally matter, except that tonight I really needed to talk about Peter Piper pecking, uh, picking pick, pickles, whatever the <laughs> fuck that is. I couldn't even say it. Peter Piper yeah. peck, pick, pick. Peter Piper pecked. Peter Piper a picked a pack, packet of pickles. Peter Piper picked a pack of pickles. No. Peter Piper packed... Peter, pack, Peter Piper packed a cone for his mates. <laughs> you know my drug dealer, right? Peter Piper. Mike Al, can you uh, bring up the lyrics for Peter Piper packed a pick of... Pi- Peter Piper balls? picked a pack of pickled peppers? Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. That's probably what it is. <laughs> and people thought there was no new material left for this podcast. <laughs> And that's also how Eminem Michael Montgomery warms up before a rap. <laughs> Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. <laughs> yo, yo. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. What's a right? peck? Oh, hang on. There's a, I didn't realize there's a second verse to There's that. a second verse to Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. <laughs> yeah. It's Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled... Oh, shit. Peter, Peter Piper, Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Yeah. A peck of pickled peppers Peter Piper picked. What? Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers... Where's the peck of pickled peppers Peter Piper picked? What the fuck is this what shit? What the fuck is going on? Let's unpack this. It's time for a gritty reboot of Peter Piper. Peter Piper. So, okay, Peter Piper is some sort of um, 
I guess, gardener of some sort of description, some yeah, sort of sense. like maybe itinerant worker, you know, backpacking around a country or whatever. He's got a job. <laughs> itinerant like, for a second there. I thought you said he's some illegal. I'm like, ah, oh, well, 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 come on. <laughs> it's come over from Scotland. <laughs> yeah. He's working on a pepper farm. Wears his socks to bed at night. All the other people mock him. Uh, Peter Piper. So he's picking a peck. So what's a peck? It's a measurement of peppers, a, I suppose. A peck, yeah. Uh, Michael says it's a, a peck is a dry measure of eight quarts. Okay. So, so quarts he, is liquid? Okay. No. So, but it's dry, but it's a dry measure. So it's the equivalent of eight quarts, okay. but dry, right? So Peter Piper picked a peck of yep. pickled peppers. So eight quarts dry of pickled peppers. A peck of pickled peppers. Yeah. Peter Piper picked. Okay. I mean, you just reiterate so what you've gone with there. Like, yeah. you've you've not moved the story on at all. We understand. Yeah. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. We get it. Move on. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. Peter Piper, this is where the mystery comes in. If Peter Piper... Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat. Yeah. If Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, where's the peck of pickled peppers Peter Piper picked? What? So you know what's going on. This yeah. is what's gone on is Peter Piper is under investigation for a missing peck of yeah. pickles. And so the FBI have been brought in yeah. and this is the head of the FBI team. They're standing in front of the whiteboard. They've got a photo of Peter Piper. They've got a photo of the peck of pickles and they'll link them all up like red string and stuff. And he's just pitching to the crew. He's saying, look, if Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, we yeah. all agree on that, right? Yeah. A peck of pickled, pickled peppers, peppers, Peter, Peter Piper, Piper picked. picked. So if Peter Piper, and he's circling yeah. on the whiteboard, he says, <laughs> if Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, then he circles the photo yeah. of the peck. Where's the peck for pickled peppers that Peter Piper picked? <laughs> just cut to his, to, to his team, just all like staring, shaking their heads. I imagine he's come some sort of like uh, Vincent D'Onofrio style Law and Order character, some yeah, enigmatic yeah. on the spectrum detective who like, you know, he's solves crime in Limerick. <laughs> no, it's more than that though, because it's a vocal warm up. So it's a cop with perfect pronunciation. Like he, you only bring him in to cases of alliteration. What if uh, it's something else? What if that's the only way he can speak? Because, you know, I mean... Cops on the spectrum became, or like detectives on the spectrum or whatever, yeah. became like a, a bit of a television meme Sub-genre. for a while, right? Yeah. So um, maybe he's one of those yeah, monk-style detectives, but he has like a yeah. speech impediment or a stutter or whatever, and the only way he can communicate, or maybe like in an autistic sort of way, is through, uh, you know, your sort of tongue twister, your vocal warm Okay. Michael, can we open the case file for um, the girl who sells seashells by the seashore? Oh yeah, let's find out. This we, need to give him, we need to give him his second case. Once he's discovered where the pick of pickled... He's like, oh, it's just here. He just put it down <laughs> over there, sorry. It got confused with the other pecks. There was a whole bunch of pecks here in a row. His peck was just down the back. Uh, so yeah, okay. Uh, she. What's your memory of... Uh, she who she sells sell, the, she sells seashells by the seashore. I need to know the first line of each one. I think she well, sells I mean, seashells by the seashore. I mean, here's, here's what we know at the start. She sells <laughs> seashells. Now, seashells could be a form of ecstasy, right? Yeah, or just like some sort of shell scheme. Do you know what I mean? Like ah, you don't right. actually need to. Like it's like selling, you know, holiday accommodation that doesn't exist or, you know, yeah, like real estate on the moon. It's one of those things where they've got onto this you know, girl who's down at the beach selling something that is free from nature. 
You don't have to buy seashells no. if you are at the seashore. Like if you are yeah, yeah, in yeah. the in the CBD, nowhere near the sea, then you might be in the market for buying some seashells. But if you're at the seashore, that is the perfect place to collect them for free. So this this shyster Something's is up. down at Something's the beach, up. conning yeah. tourists into having to pay yeah. for the seashells. All right, let's explore some more. Okay, she sells seashells on the seashore. Not by the seashore. So she's oh. literally on the beach. On the seashore. The shells she sells are seashells, I'm sure. Okay. All right. So All right. That, that's not like, it's not like a code name. It's not like she's selling shares in a shelf company. For if she sells seashells on the seashore, then I'm sure she sells seashells. Oh, fuck. <laughs> then I'm sure she sells <laughs> seashore shells. Okay. Hang on. Seash- we have to start oh, again. Yeah. She sells Seashells. seashells on the seashore. On the seashore. So we've established that. And then to reiterate, because he always likes to reiterate, the, the sell, shells she sells, sells, the shells that she sells are seashells, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Are you sure? I'm sure. Now that's, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay. For, For if she sells seashells on the seashore, yeah. then I'm sure she sells seashore shells. Yeah. So he's just flipping around. The seashells and the sea the well, shell shore. Yeah, no. but what he's establishing is that she's not bringing her own shells to the shore. Like he's saying, these are not independently sourced seashells that could be of some value on a seashore where, say, for example, the other shells on that seashore were ordinary or plain in nature, small, not unique. And this person, mm. because for, say, for example, like you went down to Phillip Island to see the little penguins, right? And uh, all right, all right, I, I, I see where this entrapment is going, Will. <laughs> and then they weren't very good, but there was somebody down there who was like, you know what? I've got like a pet penguin that juggles and you can see that three bucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so she's moving in on like people are coming with expectations. Yeah. Like the ice cream van at the beach on a hot summer's day. She's seen an opportunity for people who wanted to take home a shell from the mm. seashore, but she hasn't brought in her independent seashells. Or is it, is it more like when you'd go to Sovereign Hill mm-hmm. and they'd let you go panning Pan for, for gold? gold. They've always they've, they've already sprinkled in a bit of like you know fool's gold or tinfoil painted gold. So you're like, oh yeah, I got something there. So this dude, if he's not from this coastal town, how does he? How can he claim to be an expert in seashells? How can he be sure? Like, has he taken them away for independent peer reviewed analysis? Or how do you know he's? How her? do you know he's not an expert in seashells? Maybe they've brought in the seashell expert. I mean, he's not getting a lot of cases. They're mostly based on tongue twisters and vocal warm-ups. So he's got a lot of downtime to develop skills and hobbies and fascinations. Maybe he is an expert house style in like going, that's not a genuine seashore. You know, he picks it up, he bites it. He goes, this is a sarcatar that someone's glued sand to. I love that you think a scientist who has trained for years, a marine biologist, their way of testing whether or not something's actually shell is they bite it. Well, didn't you, did, did you see that story about the Australian security guard at Parliament House this week who uh, tasted the anthrax? There was, um, <laughs> well, it wasn't anthrax. <laughs> the, the spoilers, because he's not dead now. But hang on. Can you find the article, please? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. I'll see if I can find it as we talk. Okay. Let's, you, you, you go back to the seashore and I'll. Um, well, the seashell thing, up. I'm wondering if maybe what he's investigating is the, uh, it's the scourge of blood shells. 
you know, shells that are sourced uh, off the sweat. Oh, and, yeah, uh, right. And, and loss of lives of some people in coastal towns. So that's so why there's, a, down. there's, a, there's see... African countries that don't have any seashells of their own anymore because they've been stripped. Their beaches have been stripped <laughs> bare by these seashell yeah. smugglers to be sold on foreign shores. So I would encourage all of you to buy ethically with your seashells. Don't just go down to see the girl. Who, oh, her name is Mary, apparently. Mike Hales just brought up this fact. It was said to be inspired by the life and work of Mary Anning. I think Mike Hales found the article as well. It wasn't um, uh, Mary, Mary, quite can cherry, how does your garden grow? Not the same <laughs> Mary, right? It can't be the same Mary. I don't think so. I don't, but she might have been related to Little Miss Muffet who sat on her tuffet. I mean, who knows? Do we ever find out what Little Miss Muffet's first name is? She might be Mary Muffet. She might be another M&M. I think it's more if their surnames match up as opposed to their first names. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Anning was an English fossil collector, dealer, and paleontologist oh, okay. who, would test the ver- who would test the validity of a shell by biting on it. Oh, my God. Will, you were right. <laughs> no, that's not true. She would never bite on the shells. She was an, Eng- she was an English fossil collector, dealer, and pa- paleontologist who became known around the world for important finds she made on Jurassic marine fossil beds. All right. So I'm just imagining a female Richard Attenborough. Um, Sorry, I'm trying to read this article, but I can't open it because my Uh, account... I got it. I can read it. Oh, no, I can't because I'm not a subscriber to The Australian. Is that your problem as well? Yeah, except I am, but I just can't sign into it because... My computer seems right. to have forgotten my Facebook It's okay. Password. I mean, I think I can guess what happened is some anthrax was sent to Parliament House. This dude reenacted every 80s cop film he's ever seen and stuck his little finger into the anthrax to taste well, it. it was white powder. So... Um, oh, hang on. Michael's oh. uh, cut and pasted. Okay, great. One of the most senior security officers at Parliament House confirmed he dipped his finger into a suspicious white powder late last year and tasted it to confirm that it was not a safety threat despite having access to mobile testing kits. This is amazing. This is like this is like the plot of like Homer Simpson is made a senior security officer. <laughs> Australian Parliament House Assistant Secretary Security Branch Graham Anderson. In what? Relation? Well, that's how my dad's Spells his name. It's spelled the exact same way. Graham E. Anderson. Well, Where's your dad been the last, last few weeks? Well, I mean, imagine that. My dad's been a bit ill the last year with, um, you know, some, he had a hip thing and he had some problems with shingles. He's been making a lot of hospital visits. Or has yeah, he? Yeah, right. Has he been sneaking <laughs> up to Canberra to, to take a role in the government as an assistant secretary of security? <laughs> <laughs> He told the Senate Finance and Public Administration Legislation Committee estimates hearing this morning that the incident uh, on November 22nd last year was low grade and he had assessed that it was not likely to be anthrax. I mean, that's kind of not likely to be. Labor Senator Kimberly Kitching grilled Mr. Anderson on whether he observed protocol because anthrax has never tasted or smell. (laughs) I love that. He, he had decided that, that the risk was low grade and he assessed it was likely not to be anthrax, even though he could not taste or smell something that has no taste or smell. I don't reckon this I is anthrax so. based on... Well, I guess if it tasted like something or smelled something like something. Something or smelt like something. Yeah. Like so he, he smelt it. He, he thinks it smelt yeah. like something. He's going, well, there's only one way to confirm this. As long as I, don't ta- mm. as long as I taste something when I put this in my mouth, I'm not <laughs> going to die of anthrax poisoning. 
Anderson said there were two types of white powder alarms in Parliament House, and type one is assessed as not being a risk to safety or a biological agent. So you made an assessment by tasting it, Mr. <laughs> Kitching asked, before shaking her head at what a fuckwit he was. <laughs> Mr. Anning responded, yes. This feels like the sort of thing my dad would do, by the way. I reckon if my dad yeah. found a suspicious white powder, he'd be like, oh, well, buddy, better taste it, see what it is. I do remember once uh, barbecuing something, like bar- making a barbecue, and I had a, a, a tray on the hot plate, like a metal tray, and I grabbed the tray, went, ah, that's hot, and then immediately grabbed it again. Like, like <laughs> for some reason, my brain didn't learn anything, and I touched it twice. Like, I literally went, ah, fuck, that's hot, and then went to grab it again. Oh, my God! <laughs> so, what I'm trying to say is, I can understand just not thinking sometimes. Oh, mate, all the time. I can totally see myself doing something like this going, oh, you know, I can smell something. And then realizing later that I'd like put some Vicks up my nose or something earlier that morning and that's what I was smelling. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like any person who's ever chopped chilies and then gone in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. I mean, just you don't even have to go to the bathroom. I mean, rubbing it near your eyes. Like it's oh. always, it's just one of those things where you're just like, oh, what happened? What happened just then? <laughs> Speaking of um, going to the bathrooms, I have a, a <laughs> sequel of thought, uh, uh, oh, okay. of, of sorts for um, a discussion we had last year in which I described my uh, experience with stage fright, um, being at a very packed cinema and running into people that I knew and, and being distracted and not being able to go to the toilet. And you gave me some advice, <clears throat> which has uh, been very useful uh, of late, which is, well, next time you're feeling like that way, just go to the cubicle. So I went to an event on Friday. I mean, another scr- you're probably overreaching to suggest that I gave you that advice because the idea that somebody gave you advice means they presented you with some solution to your problem that wasn't apparent to even a complete stranger with barely any information on what was going on. Like that's literally what pretty much anyone would have said given that scenario painted to them. So you may be stretching it a little to suggest you sat down at my knee and I proffered you some of the wisdom of my years. (laughs) And yea, he said unto thee, use the cubicle, dickhead. (laughs) The scripture of Will Anderson. Cubicles, they're not just for number two. The Will Anderson story. So I was at a, another event with lots of people and uh, I went to use the bathroom and in my mind, I'm like, okay, I just need to wee, but you know, I've got the feeling because there's so many people and it's so crowded that I'll get nervous if there's a, if there's a, a lot of people in the cubicle, in the, in the bathroom. So I went in, problem was there was one urinal and two people lined up for the cubicle already. So the cubicle was full, there's two people lined up waiting to use it, and there was just a urinal that was just about to become free. So in my head, I was like, all right, I actually need to go to the bathroom. So maybe what I can do is just hang out with the cubicle guys, like I'm just going to, you know, do a number twos. And then when the tension builds up enough, I can get to the urinal, like jump ship, jump lines, and get to the urinal, and that way, no problem. Well, that's going to freak those guys out because they're going to be like, oh my God, he's going to shit in the urinal. Yeah. <laughs> he's so desperate. He's got a shit in the urinal. Well, to cover, yeah. Well, I had to go through with it, Will. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm an cover, actor after to all. To cover your embarrassment. <laughs> yes. I don't want to look like an idiot. So I went over to the urinal, I dropped my pants, and I took a deuce in the urinal. No. 
What I did is I hung out. Luckily, no one else came in to the bathroom. So it's just the two guys. They seem to know each other. They were chatting and the guy in the bathroom. So I waited with them for about 30 seconds. And then what I did was like, oh, you know, I can't wait. And so I made my – because I had felt the pressure. I was like, this is going to be fine. Once you get the belt undone, it's all going to flow. You're ready to go, buddy. Just – you can do this. Got to the urinal. As I'm doing the belt, I hear someone come in and it fucking throws everything. Like – I'd sort of gotten comfortable with the guys in the room hanging out in that line for 30 seconds to the point where I felt like I could use the urinal. But when I got to the urinal, a fourth party came in and it just, it just threw me. So now, Will, I'm stuck at the urinal, not being able to wee with a guy waiting to use it. Two guys I've just been in line with, he saw me wait with them and now gone to the bathroom and now stand at the urinal not doing anything. And so I'm stuck there and I'm like, well, nothing's coming out. Like, I remember another piece of advice you gave me, which is... <laughs> Just relax and take as much time as you need. Right. Like, no one knows what your problem is. You might have some kind of like blockage or whatever. So I tried. I tried about 30 seconds of standing there with nothing coming out. And anything, it was retreating. I couldn't feel it coming back. And so I made the decision to go back to the line. Zip myself up, wash my hands and rejoin the line. So now these guys, over the last two minutes, have seen me come into the bathroom... Not use the urinal, come back and just hang out. So I look like a dude who just likes hanging out in toilets. By the way, the person, that- the person who is in the cubicle, who up until this point was worried that they were taking too long in the cubicle and people might be judging them, have really had the heat seriously <laughs> taken off them by your dodgy behaviour outside the door. I gave it another 15 seconds or so in the line. Yep. And then... I oh, oh sorry, can I ask this? Did you yeah. close your eyes? I'm going to give you a little... Another, have you tried closing oh, your eyes? No, no, I didn't. I was staring at the tiles. I was whispering to my penis. Come on. Come, come on, on, mate. Come on. Don't do this to come me. On. Don't embarrass me. Please, God. Please, just one drop. Just so I can walk out of here with my, my head held high. Please. Meanwhile, meanwhile, your asshole's like, um, we can shit in this if you want. If you want me to... We can... Shut up! Shut up! I'm talking to my dick! Please, just a little bit. I'm just saying. <laughs> the other guys, the other two guys are just watching me. Is that guy talking to his dick? <laughs> I think he is. And he's arsehole. And he seems to be really mad at his dick and ignoring the good wishes of his arsehole. His arsehole is just trying to offer some solutions. There's no such bad thing as a bad solution. Essentially, your arsehole is Seth Rogen and your dick's James Franco. (laughs) The disaster artist. um, Can I uh, say this? So you left and then did your body... I left. Did your body retrieve... Uh, yeah, I was so tense that yeah. like I didn't need to go to the bathroom. And then I contemplated, um, there was a kind of drinks thing afterwards. And I, I contemplated going, but it's like, I just can't bear. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know the guys. I didn't know me, but I couldn't bear the thought of them seeing me at this thing. So I just went home. <laughs> Why do you care so much about people who you don't know? I don't know. I do though. It is an issue. I create elaborate narratives. Uh, uh, it's probably uh, narcissism. <laughs> I think is an easy textbook definition. Well, it is that interesting thing, isn't it? The idea that those two guys who are standing around in a bathroom, either waiting desperately to go to the bathroom to a cubicle um, or to like do some coke or whatever the fuck they were going to do in the cubicle, in some way are interested in whether you can go to the toilet or not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> I do remember like when I was uh, like when I was 18, I had a job in a video store and it was like, look, you, your task as a video, uh, a video store employee are pretty simple. You scan and hand over uh, videotapes and you take cash for them. But we had this gaming system like a Nintendo or something like that, which was a different prospect when you had to hire it out to people like you had to take the box out you had to scan all the individual parts it required a bit of computer work to log it all in and stuff and as an 18 year old the, the the thought of not being able to do that not being able to rent out this game because it's a little bit different to what i was used to it was a little more complicated required a bit more like knowing how to use the computer and stuff it gave me such fear and i remember talking to a friend of mine i was like you know, I'm really stressed that someone's going to come rent this fucking video game system and I don't really know how to do it. And he's like, well, don't, why don't you just ask someone, your manager or someone to show you how to do it? And I said, well, he showed me once and I just don't want to ask him again because I don't want to look like a dickhead. And he's gone, that's his fucking job. Yeah, do you think a, he gives yeah, two shits about whether one of his employees needs to be shown again how to use the, the video system game? But it was like, I'd created this narrative in my head that he would think so low of me or that it would be such an embarrassing question. Yeah, here's the thing about the video game, son. I explain things once and then you can never access that information again. You've got to take it all in once because that's the way the video game is played. They don't call me Barry Blockbuster for nothing, my friend. <laughs> this, like, this, no, that this shop might be called Video Easy, but there's nothing easy about the video life, my friend. You're in my movie land now, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm going to video bust this over your head. <laughs> yeah, my, my manager was a shocking 90s white guy uh, gangster. Right. Um, uh, can we look up, Michael, if you don't mind, uh, the little pigs? That's uh, when you were talking about uh, needing to wee, suddenly in my head, the story of the little pigs and the one who needed to wee, wee, wee all the way what? home. You know, like this little piggy went to market. Yeah. This little piggy stayed home. This little piggy... Ate roast beef. Had this little piggy beef. had none. Yep. So I want to know: little... was there like five of them, or was there ten piggies? Five, because you do it on the toes. Yeah, but you've got ten toes. Oh, Is yeah, there a second verse? Time. I, I want to know about the piggies and what they were up to. Okay. Is this like when you start your Charles Manson era? <laughs> now let's talk about the piggies. The little piggies—they all go to the slaughter. If you love tofop, kill the little piggies. <laughs> This little piggy went to market. This little yeah. piggy stayed home. This little when pig- he went to market, they're, they're actually talking about the nightclub in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah. This little piggy loves pingers. Yeah. <laughs> this, little- <laughs> this little piggy's coming down, so he stayed home. Yeah. <laughs> this little piggy ate a bacon sandwich on Sunday, which he felt bad about. But <laughs> um, This little piggy went to market. This little piggy stayed home. Uh, this little piggy had roast beef. That's the one that throws me a little bit. Why mm. would the little piggy have roast beef? Do do pigs eat other animals? Yeah, they, haven't th- you ever watched um, uh, 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 Deadwood? That's how they get rid of bodies. They oh, throw. That's true. They throw the. the you know what? I know that's pigs. true, but I, at the same time, it just doesn't register in my head that like yeah, pigs. Yeah, wild boars and stuff are carnivorous, aren't they? Yeah, but what about like just a pig? Your average pig, your pig that like, like babe. Yeah, like babe. Would babe eat farmer Hogan? <laughs> <laughs> ah, that'll do, pig! Ah, that'll do! Ah, he's got me guts! 
Or Babe's just there, full, standing next to the corpse, like the just the skeleton of Farmer Hoggett, and just goes, that'll do, Farmer Hoggett. <laughs> <laughs> or he's just shitting out Farmer Hoggett. He's like, that'll do-do, Farmer Hoggett. That'll uh, do-do. I'm glad you didn't go with that'll poo. So... <laughs> uh, uh. But we're on the same page. Toe flop. Okay, so do you, do you think years. that... Uh, so when um, I, I mentioned this last week or, or the week before, but when uh, Ziggy was in his last month, we were just essentially getting him anything he wanted to eat for food. Um, yeah. And, you know, we got him... I to- want a child's heart. <laughs> right. <laughs> the heart of a child. Bring it to me. <laughs> well, that was the thing I was going to say. Is on the last day, he said, could you sacrifice <laughs> a baby? I've always wanted to taste baby. <laughs> So, <laughs> human flesh, just once. <laughs> oh, he was a good cat. <laughs> I mean, apart from that one time he ate an infant on his Right at the end. But, but up until cat. that point, he had been a really good cat. Yes, I he, guess. He was weird. He said, I don't care if I go to hell. <laughs> I just want to eat a child. <laughs> Come on, fuckos, do it. <laughs> yeah, I think he was going a bit sent out towards the end. <laughs> Um, can we just pause for a second? Yeah, sure. Um, hey, uh, did you see Kevin uh, about Kevin Smith? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it seems like he's all right, which is good. But um, it was one of those ones where it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, don't you die. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those ones where I was... Um, uh, I was really, uh, when I saw his name trending on Twitter this morning, as soon as I turned on my phone, you know, I get up early, I do breakfast radio, mm. I check the top uh, Twitter topics to see, you know, if some news is broken overnight. And then suddenly um, Kevin Smith is a uh, top uh, Twitter topic. Mm. And like in this day and age, it's amazing how much the last couple of years have changed because two years ago, if you saw him up the top, you'd assume he's dead. Now you assume... It's some sort of sex scandal. Sex scandal, yeah. And I was, I was really relieved to hear that he had a major heart attack. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, um, I read he, he actually wrote quite a, a nice Facebook post. Did you read that? I haven't yet, but this is the weird thing about it is that like, because um, I've been not listening to Smodcast recently, but you know, as we've spoken about previously on this podcast, but there might be new listeners and oh my God, if this is your first episode and you've sat through 20 minutes of us doing tongue twisters to get to this point, welcome on board. I think you're going to enjoy the experience. Um, But we originally started this podcast, you know, much in the spirit of Smogcast, you know, Scott Mosier and uh, Kevin Smith's uh, podcast. And there was a period of time where I went to see him speak and, you know, talk about things a lot and really loved the way that he sort of, you know, created his own world and his own things. And he's such a brilliant off-the-cuff you know, long form speaker, um, really fascinating mind, you know, regardless of whether you like his movies or not, like as a broadcaster and a storyteller. And of late, I've dipped out of his world. And the cynical and horrible thing about something like this is I'm totally back in again now. I'm like, this is going to make some good blogs. There'll be some great podcasts about this. He'll get so much new content. Like, I can't wait to see Kevin Smith's take on his massive heart attack. Yeah, it's funny. I was actually thinking the same thing a couple of days ago before the heart attack even happened. I was like, oh, it's funny. I don't really listen to any Smodcast podcast anymore, apart from Tell Them Steve Dave, but they don't really feature Kev. 
but I don't really dip into his world either. I feel like, you know, a Smodcast has changed anyway. Like Scott Mosier is living overseas now. They don't do it that regularly anymore. And <clears throat> when it is the two of them, I'll definitely... I mean, imagine a podcast, Charlie, that uh, where one of them's living overseas <laughs> and they don't do it regularly. Imagine how hard and frustrating it would be for people to consistently follow that podcast and not dip out completely. <laughs> oh my God, we're writing our own death warrant. <laughs> well, I mean, I have listened to the ones that they've done with him via Skype and I must admit, I think uh, Mike Hal does an awesome job of making ours sound better. They, they, theirs always sounds like one of them's on Skype. Even when you listen to um, uh, uh, Pod Save America, you can always tell when someone's calling in. It doesn't sound that great. Whereas here at Tofop... <laughs> The one thing you say about us, the sound is always top-notch. The one thing you can say about Tofop is that our sound and the quality of our sound has been our brand since Michael came Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking about, um, I was like, I wonder if I'll ever go back, because we've talked about this show and we've like, you know, what is, what is Tofop? Like, what is its relevance now? You know, do we, we always check in, do we still enjoy doing it? Like, what do we feel like that needs to be? And... You know, we sort of talked at the start of the year when I was visiting you. We're like, you know, like, let's get back to why we started doing it in the first place, which is just kind of like, we just want to catch up. You know, that's really an excuse is let's talk more about like how a week's been and all that kind of stuff. Because I think there is a, a pressure to, to perform, like to make it into something. And I was thinking about Kevin Smith and I was like, I have dipped out of that world, but I don't doubt that sometime, at some stage I'll circle back, maybe with a new show, maybe I'll go and do the back catalogue or whatever, but it sort of made me go, yeah, well, we'll just keep doing this for what it is, you know what I mean? Like, it makes me feel like, I think there was a pressure in my mind with this show, well, we have to create something and make it into something, like, how do we, how do we build this and capitalise and turn it into something bigger? And it's like, well, maybe this is just always what it is. It doesn't mean we haven't spun off a bunch of awesome things from it, like the footy podcast I love doing, you know, Quantum Cop, like everything that has happened as a result of us having this conversation. If the only function of this show going forward is that it enables us to create other things or leads on to, you know, working with other people, then I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's like, you know, our original project. Uh, we're members of a band and we were all in a band together and it wasn't really that successful a band but all our individual careers and things we've done off it have gone really well. <laughs> <laughs> but we still get back together because we like to jam. Is, uh, maybe we're like one of those writer's bands, you know, like where there's Stephen King and Dave Barry and guys like that yeah. would have a band. Uh, I, think, I, think, I, think, I think we're more like an Australian cricketer's band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we, we're, we're six and out. Yeah, we know five songs. Two of them are cold chisel. <laughs> We're the Lee brothers. We just needed Richard Cheekwee, Michael, to come in and sort us out. Were they called Six and Out? Six and Out, I think they were called. Mike Hale, can you look up the band Six and I Out? Mean, I think we may have even discussed them on see, the podcast what, what, before. What you're but. doing there is you are actually walking straight into the criticism. Like if you want to be taken seriously as a musician and you're a bunch of cricketers, you want just to be taken seriously for the music. You wouldn't want to reference the fact that you're cricketers. But by putting a pun or like a call into the name of your band, you're literally saying, this is what we are. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they were going to call themselves Foo Fighters. <laughs> you know, it's going to be something that's a direct link to cricket. Um, Six and Out is an Australian rock band. The name is derived from the backyard cricket rule 
of six and out. So it's a twist on it because you don't actually have at the professional level at which they played, the six and out rule does not apply. Yeah. It's a one hand, one bounce, you know, sort of, you know, well, can't get out first uh, well, ball sort of backyard cricket rule. Would you say that maybe what they are saying with this is that we are a playful version of cricketers, just like backyard right. rules is a playful version of cricket. Hey man, don't take us too seriously. We're a fun band. Yeah. We don't need a wicket keeper. You can just use the bin. Yeah. Automatic wiki. <laughs> That's our other yeah, band. Automatic Wiki. <laughs> that's what, that's his DJ name. Yeah. When Brett Lee DJs, he DJs under the name Automatic Wiki. <laughs> I would love Automatic Wiki, 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 Wiki. <laughs> I'd love a music festival and the lineup was just completely bands named after backyard cricket turns. Yeah, so uh, guys, it's a huge lineup. We put this festival together, backyard cricket Ladies Fest. and gentlemen, one hand, one bounce. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. We've been, you can't get out first ball. Thank you very much. Thank you. Six and out. So, uh, okay, no, they didn't give us more information on the band. They actually gave us more definition on what six and out means, the rule, than the, <laughs> there's more information about the rule than there is the actual band. Well, from my memory, there, it was the Lee brothers. So Brett Lee, who was a very, very good uh, yeah. um, cricketer, and his Bing. brother um, <laughs> Harvey Lee Oswald. No, <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald. No, what, what was his brother's name? Here we go. Shane Lee, of course. Because um, at one, are they are they brothers? I had no idea. Yeah, Brett Lee and Shane Lee are brothers. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, Brett yeah. Lee is your Luke Hemsworth of that situation. Yeah. And so you had uh, Richard Chiqui who was like one of the first yeah. Asian cricketers, um, Brett Lee, Shane Lee, Brad McNamara, and Gavin Robertson. So um, all New South Wales cricketers. There was a, um, I went to one of those free summer like gigs. You know, when you're a kid and you're at a holiday resort, like lawn or something, there'll be like some kind of like local festival and they'll get like bands up. And there was an all police band called Code Red. <laughs> Code Red? Yeah. They weren't, called code, they weren't called Code Blue? Oh, maybe they're called Code they're Blue. That band. makes more sense. Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> That's like somebody in the meeting would have been like, hey, Gary, <laughs> like, I love Code. Yeah. So firstly, no such thing as a bad idea. Yeah. And I feel like you're halfway there. Code, I feel like it's fantastic. Mm. But don't you feel like Code Red would be more your ambulance or firefighter band this is your police band we're no the way man we're not we are artists well we're actually police officers first but after that we are artists <laughs> we don't play by the rules but we enforce the rules <laughs> i know can you imagine being on tour with bloody get code a ticket blue? to our show or we'll give you a ticket <laughs> we're code red shouldn't it be blue no i think the headliners of that festival were the fucking skyhooks it was like 1990. It was like way after Skyhooks' heyday. It was after Shell's Neighbourhood. Um, it was red in the, in the midst of Hey Hey It's Saturday fame. But yeah, they came out. Uh, Skyhooks came out in full 70s kind of glam gear. And <laughs> they played Jukebox in Siberia. Because <laughs> I don't know if you know, Will, but apparently uh -huh. there was a Jukebox in Siberia that was howling out in hysteria. Uh, Google jukebox in Siberia lyrics. We've got to revisit that. I had forgotten because we play a bit of Skyhooks on the radio. So, yeah. 
Skyhooks has been a bit more in my world. And I, I don't know if I told you this, but we talked about it on the radio. We were doing calls about um, Festival Hall, one of the big major venues in Melbourne. Yeah. is uh, probably going to be turned into apartments. And so people were giving their memories of gigs they saw at Festival Hall. And one of them had seen Skyhooks. And at the gig, uh, they had a giant paper mache cock <laughs> that, sp- that spurted out twisties. Oh, my God. Someone has to take that giant cock to a hospital or at least a bloody sex health clinic. If you are squirting twisties out of your dick, something is wrong. More what I was thinking being the partner of somebody who is a, you know, a, um, a, a set designer who works, you know, sometimes making props and stuff for film clips. I just had an image of Amy in our living room making a giant <laughs> penis out of paper mache and working out how she could get the twisties to shoot out of it. And then transporting that. I guess you just have to hire a van or something, right? Okay. Do you want right. the lyrics? Well, I guess so. For Duke I mean, you can't probably put it... Well, you know, you could just put it in the cab with you, I suppose. But, um, uh, okay, <laughs> let's have a look at the lyrics of Jukebox in, in Siberia. Um, way up on the Arctic coast, there's a club that's just the most. Okay, all right. Yeah. It's the place where the Russians go Uh-oh. when the party lines on hold... The best nightclub in the USSR. Hang on, wait. Was this written by a Russian pretending to be an American? Is this like one of those pro-Trump tweets? It's like, I am American. I eat a cheeseburger. (laughs) What is it? Because that doesn't make any sense. When the party lines on hold. When the party lines on hold. How's it go? When the we discovered that um, uh, Skyhook's lyrics have been written by Russian bots. Is yeah, that what you're <laughs> yeah. Suggesting? yeah. They okay. start. They started their misinformation information campaign back in 1990. Let's just hang on. When the party lines on hold. Oh, party line as yeah. in there should be a, an apostrophe yeah. there. When the the line of the party. When the party lines on hold, you got to go. Right, to the, but at the same time, they're trying to get a subtle message in there about t- you know towing the party line because this is Russia. Do you think? No, I'm oh. just saying the Russian bot. That's the message they're trying to sneak <laughs> right. into this disinformation. Okay, no, I thought maybe you were saying Skyhooks actually worked some very early kind of anti-Soviet commentary into their lyrics. When the party line's on hold, the best nightclub in the USSR. Music vodka caviar? Now, I don't know if okay. that's like one product, if you mix music vodka and caviar, or if it's all three things at this party. It's the cost... Well, that's what, no, it's... A, it's it's got everything you need in the USSR. It's music, vodka, caviar. I mean, can you imagine when you managed to come up with that rhyme, how proud you would have been of yourself? Yeah. When you've managed to rhyme USSR with caviar. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's the Cossacks <laughs> local spot oh, yeah. where they come in from the cold to that jukebox. Oh, that's a play. That's a double play though. Like, cause yeah, coming in from the cold, yeah, the cold, cold war. war. I do think there is a political message here. When they come in from the cold to that jukebox in Siberia, pounding out hysteria. Get down, get down, Vladivostok. Drop a ruble in the slot of that jukebox in Siberia. Jukebox in Siberia. Now, look, I assume a lot, I mean, probably a lot of our Australian listeners, definitely none of our American listeners would even know what this song isn't a, like, it's, they're a rock band, but this song has a kind of real light kind of poppy da 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 it kind of goes uh, jukebox in siberia pounding out hysteria do 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 like it's not a rock song so it's odd right you've got to imagine that this well, is well the thing is it was their big comeback song basically yeah. so they had been a, like a huge band in australia Gla- glam and then they had a bit of a 
glam rock band. Yeah, exactly. And then they came back and tried to recapture that with a modern vibe, and it just. But it wasn't though. Was that was the weird, weird thing. It was like a bop, 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 ba, da, da. Like it wasn't kind of like a rock song. It wasn't them like you know doing seventies guitar solos. It was this little weird boppy song. Okay. It feels like also there that they were running out of Russian references. <laughs> Don't you feel like it was just like yeah. uh, uh, get down. Vladivostok, uh, uh, drop a ruble, ruble, ruble in a slot. Yeah, the jukebox is where it's at. Put on your little furry hat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, in the land of the midnight sun, <laughs> yeah, Rasputin's having so much fun. You're right. They have just <laughs> grabbed. They've gone to Wikipedia. They've put in famous Russians. Trotsky, <laughs> Marx, and Lenin too. They're all oh ju- god! Now they're just <laughs> listening, people. Yeah. Now they're just now they're just on the Wikipedia page, just going famous Russians. And if you take a look over, you'll see Anna Kornikova. <laughs> no, that's that's not true, but it could be. They're all drinking at the bar. Crew chef, he's there looking cool. Michael yep. and Brezhnev shooting pool. So, like, I mean. Are they going to bring Stalin into this? Because that would get, get real dark. Stalin's over by the bar slaughtering thousands of drinks. Of drinks. It's okay. Trotsky, Marx, and Lenin too. All drinking at the bar. Khrushchev says he's, uh, he's there looking cool. Michael and Brezhnev shooting Paul. Ivan's up from Gorky Park to hang out with the oh, Tsar God. at that jukebox in Siberia. Deep in the interior. Interior. Get down, get down, Vladivostok. (laughs) All the Russians want to rock. Ah, to that jukebox in Siberia, pounding out hysteria. Drop a ruble in the slot of that jukebox in Siberia. Wow, man. Oh, shit, there's there's more to go. (laughs) Shit. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what else? Okay, when that needle hits the 45, this is the, I remember this, this is the key change. When the needle okay. hits that 45, all of Russia starts to jive. When Chuck <laughs> Berry rings that bell, you know the revolution's alive and well. There's a very confused kind of communist message in this, isn't there? Like, what are they saying? Yeah. Like, I mean, but they're kind of painting all these communist icons as being sort of like lazy layabouts. Like this is, you know, this doesn't sound like a, a kind of commune of people working together for a common cause. That they sound like the the people they're trying to overthrow. Yeah, I'm not sure why Chuck Berry got in there as well. As far as I know, not a famous Russian, is he? Did they run out of famous Russians? Yeah, it's like that scene in uh, in Vladivostok to the Future. Hey, Marvin, it's your it's your cousin, Marvin Berry. <laughs> Uh, when Chuck Berry rings a bell, you know... I'm in Siberia, and I've just heard a new sound. And he's pounding out hysteria. (laughs) Deep beneath the polar ice, the Yankee sailors are dressed up nice. Okay, submarines, that makes sense. Hunt for Red October, little little Hunt for Red October (laughs) humour. That's a very, very, very specific genre of humour. There's about three jokes you can make. Take the sub up to the top so they can get down, so they can get on down. If you're CIA or KGB, they might let you in for free. Oh, okay. So either side. Yeah. There's a red star on the door. You can Mm -hmm. hear the sound. Hang on. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah. 
I, am I reading the... Oh, no. Sorry. They're about to reference the Beatles back in the USSR. I started getting confused thinking <laughs> I was reading the lyrics back in the USSR. You can hear the sound of balalakas ringing out, the Beatles singing Twist and Shack. I love the West. I love their beer. I'm so glad Glasnost is here. <laughs> This feels what? like uh, this feels like someone has taken like a really strong psychedelic, and they're just babbling at you, right? You're like, "What are you? What? Sorry, I can hear the Beatles. They're singing Twist and Shout. I love the West and their beer. I'm so glad Glassnot is here in that jukebox in Siberia. Founding out hysteria. Get down, get down, Vladivostok. Drop a ruble in the slot in the jukebox in Siberia. Jukebox in Siberia. All the Russians want to wow. rock. Drop a ruble in the slot." Jukebox in Siberia. Jukebox in Siberia. Fuck, man. You know what I'd love wow. to do would be to go to like, you know, those one of writers' festivals or whatever when people can get up and read like poetry. <laughs> just get up and do like, like open a, verse. Yeah. <laughs> just, I'd like to, uh, in the spirit of uh, Day in the Life of Alexander Stoltznitsyn, I'd like to read uh, some, <laughs> uh, some really moving Soviet literature. <laughs> Way up on the Arctic coast, there's a club that's just the most. It's where the oh. place where the Russians go, where the party lines on hold, the best nightclub in the USSR, music, vodka, caviar. Oh. <laughs> I, um, we should wind this up because yeah, I have gonna be to be a short uh, episode today. Go uh, today because I am off to Adelaide uh, this Thursday, March the 1st. Uh, I will be doing my show with Legal uh, for the very first time at uh, Adelaide. Um, Thursday and Saturday are sold out. There might be a few tickets available on the day, but Friday night, which is actually our op official opening night, still some tickets to sell. All so right. please come to that one on Friday night. Not really sure why that show is not selling as well as the others, but it'd be good if you came along because um, uh, the press are in that night as well. So it'd be good to have a, a big full house uh, for the show. And uh, I've got to go off and do the project tonight and uh, talk about being arrested. So they're going to ask me hard-hitting questions about what happened and I'm going to have to not give it away because I've just spent eight months writing a fucking show about it and if I give it away on the project tonight, I'm fucked. Any last-minute changes or is it is it set in stone? Any Will there be any late withdrawals? Oh, you know what the thing is? It's still, it probably needs to be about 8,000 words. You're guessing a bit on the first night because there's no exact number that'll mean it's an hour. But, um, and then after that, it expands a little. But in Adelaide, I have to, it has to be 60 minutes because of the timing of the festival. And so I have to get a version for th Thursday night that's going to be 60 minutes, which is probably somewhere between 7,000 and 8,000 words. At the moment, it's sitting at 10,000 words. So I still need to lose. 2000 words which is like a lot because i'm not really sure what else i can leave out of it without telling the story properly so yeah there's a little bit of last minute mild panic but it's all there i just need to know which bits of it to get rid of i think well hopefully like a jukebox in siberia you'll just be pounding out the hysteria <laughs> well if not if i get really panicked in the middle i'm just going to start reading the lyrics of jukebox in siberia and like and like people will think that i've like yeah got a bit sam simmons way <laughs> I'll just mash some food in myself and read the lyrics to Jukebox in Siberia. And I'll be like, is it tribute to Sam Simmons? It's like, a, come on, guys, you guys get it, right? 
If you want to support our show, and God knows why you would, uh, you can go to our Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com forward slash TOEFOP. Uh, you can donate any amount. It's a monthly amount that it gets deducted from your credit card, I assume, or direct debit or PayPal or something like that. Um, you can donate any amount from a dollar up to however much you want to, and it's a great way to support the show. Um, we're not making any personal cash for it, but it just uh, it keeps the lights on. It enables us to pay uh, Mike Howell and James Fosdyke and do tours when we do tours and all that kind of stuff. So um, if you liked what you heard today, um, do that. Or if you don't have money, tell a friend. And is the first episode of Quantum Cop uh, still up there for yep. everybody to read on the Patreon page? Yes. So you can go to our Patreon page and just read that first episode regardless of whether you contribute or not and get a taste for it, see the cool sort of content that James is producing that, you know, you yeah. get if you're a member of the Patreon. I mean, there's a few things on the Patreon site that are free that you can go to and just check out now. And that is just the tip of the iceberg. If you want more of the free content, um, once you subscribe from any level, uh, you get access to all, uh, all, all our bonus content. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel, which is Tofop TV. Will and I are on Twitter. And if you want to talk about the show, go to Facebook. There is a group called the Tea Room of Tofop listeners, tea baggers who get together and discuss each episode. I have floated in from time to time. I'm like a creepy dead relative, uh, seeing what you're saying about the show. I haven't said anything too bad yet. Okay, well, that's good to know because I am never going to float in. <laughs> so if you could keep me updated on your occasional floats, that'd be good. Um, we did mention last week, I think, that we're a member of the Planet Broadcasting uh, Organization um, Network. And um, <clears throat> I've just got to mention, I think we talked about it a little bit last week, but I was just listening to the recent episode of The Weekly Planet and... Uh, James and Nick are both brilliant, but Nick Mason, if you don't know him, if you've not listened to him before, his speed of improvisation and the cleverness of his riffs is as good as I think anyone in the world. Like just from a, like when I listen to it, just, like A as a fan first, but B as a comedian and just sometimes go, oh my God, the way that he put that together or how quick he was with that joke. There was, there's one which, look, if you don't want me to spoil it, Switch off now and go and listen to the episode, but I think you'll enjoy it when he does it even more than me explaining it and butchering it in a long-winded way. But they were having a conversation about, um, uh, well, anyway, long, they got onto the idea of whether a therapist would be better at being a therapist if they had experienced mental illness themselves. And he said, are you saying... You don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps. And it honestly made me laugh in a way. Like, and it doesn't even get acknowledged barely by James. But it was one of those jokes, just the quickness of the way you put it together and how far... Oh, man, I sent him a message. I, I sent him a fan message of how much I was enjoying his podcast. Anyway, he drives a tram for a living. Uh, but he also is one of the most brilliant comic minds going around. So check out their podcast, The Weekly Planet. I think he's a real dickhead, personally. I don't like him at all. Well, that's good for balance. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. <laughs> Love you, Nick. Love you, James. You're good guys. I'm Charlie Clawson. <laughs> I'm Will Anderson. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. It's not optional. You have to do it. <laughs> we used to go easy on it, but now you have to. Yeah. Yeah.